Well, good morning, church, and uh, welcome back. We've been talking about, uh, for since the beginning of the year, a sermon series of messages called No Perfect People Allowed. And so because this is the week of Valentine's Day and you're here, that means you survive Valentine's, uh, it is a week where we sort of celebrate relationships. And in light of our sermon series and in light of the fact that this was Valentine's Day week, I thought we'd, we'd sort of give honor to that and we'd use that to talk about this morning that there are no perfect marriages, there are no perfect families. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, why is that? Because marriages are made of two, out of two imperfect people and two imperfect people can never come together and make a perfect marriage. But now here's the interesting thing. When you talk about family and marriage to most people, there is usually this sort of unspoken vision, this dream of, of a home and kids and a white picket fence, right? You've all had that sort of image in your mind somewhere along the line. But I think in our modern world, what we are experiencing is that most people are trying not to get stabbed by the pickets or impaled by them because family is a pretty rough place for a lot of people these days. Can I get an amen to that one? It's not, it's not exactly what it was originally supposed to be. And the reason that we have that dream of white picket fence is because God designed marriage. He built the family and it was good. When God brought Adam and Eve together, it was very good. In fact, it was so good. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, if you have read this in your scripture, but it was so good that shortly after Adam and Eve got, got married and uh, Eve was feeling a little uncertain of herself, you know, because they'd had a kind of a bad situation happen. And she went up to Adam and she said, she said, honey, if you had to do it all over again, would you still marry me? And Adam smiled and he looked at her. He said, sweetheart, there's absolutely nobody in the whole world that I would rather be with right now. It was that good. It was that good. Man, you can learn something from Adam. Uh, <laughs> see, but family, family's supposed to be a place where the children that God blesses us with, where they, they learn about God. Marriage is supposed to be a place where, where husband and wife reflect the relationship that Jesus has with us as his church to the world. It's a place where the world is supposed to see the revealed glory of God by the way that the family functions and expresses God to them. It's, the family is a place where children are supposed to learn about who God is. It's a place where you come and, and you're safe from judgment. It's a place where you come and, and you get a break from being beat up in the world. And can we all agree that the world will beat you up almost every day and certainly if not every day, every week. It'll take its toll on you. And family's supposed to be that place where you come and you get a respite from that. You, you get a break from that and you get healed up because it's the place where you're safe. But family in modern world, in modern America, I mean, we've hit some real speed bumps. And if we're talking about Illinois, we've hit some potholes. I mean, some big ones. You guys know what I'm talking about. And the deeper they are, the more damage 
it does. And our families have been taking a beating in the modern world. And so this morning, as part of our series of No Perfect People Allowed and No Perfect Marriages and Families this morning, I want to address two uh, topics, two areas of concern that are huge issues in every family. Every member of every family is going to be impacted by these things, and we have to get a grip on these if we're going to have healthy, God-honoring families. So I'm going to talk about two things. Number one, uh, is how the challenge of expressing love. And that is a real challenge even within our families. We're going to talk about the challenge of expressing love. And the other one that we're going to talk about is uh, communication and conflict management. Amen. All right. So we need God to bless this one. So let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for this time together today. We thank you that you love us. Uh, we thank you for your patience with us. And God, we thank you for weather that allows us to gather together today. We've missed it. Uh, Lord, as we, as we gather around your word this morning and as we gather with brothers and sisters, Lord, may you speak to us and may, God, you begin doing healing work in each and every one of our lives. Lord, not only in the families that we're in, but the families that we're from. Uh, God, just help us to reflect you to the world and reflect you even within the context of our own families. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's start off with the challenge of expressing love uh, within the context of family. Now, whenever I think of this, uh, I, I can't help but think about the story of a lady who walked to work every day. And uh, as she walked to her route to work, always took her by this, this pet store. And uh, one day on a beautiful sunny day, uh, the owner of the pet store had opened up the door and had placed a birdcage and a parrot out there to greet people as they walked by. And as this lady was, was walking by one day, uh, the first day, and, and, and it was out there, as she got closer, the bird started looking at her. And the closer she got, the bird said, hey. And she said, what? And the bird looked at her and said, you're ugly and you're stupid. Well, she was a little offended by that, but you know, it's a bird, right? So what's the big deal? Just keep moving. So she did. She just kept moving. The next day she's going by, it's another beautiful day. The bird cage and the parrot is out there again. And as she gets closer, the parrot looks at her and he goes, hey. And she said, what? He said, you're ugly and you're stupid. Well, now she's really ticked off, but it's a bird. What are you going to do about it? So she just kept going. This went on every day that week. Every day she would walk by that bird and that bird would say the exact same thing. Now she's really getting fed up. The next Monday, she decided if that bird says anything, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do something about it. So she's walking down the sidewalk and sure enough, it was another beautiful day. The bird cage was out there. The parrot was out there. She gets close. The bird looks at her and it says, hey, she said, what? He said, you're ugly and you're stupid. And she said, that's it, I've had it. So she walks over to the birdcage and she calls the owner out and she says, sir, let me tell you something. I've walked by this, this pet store every day for the last week and every time I've gone by, your parrot has looked at me and told me that I am ugly and stupid. And he said, I'm telling you one thing right now. If that bird does that again, I will break its neck and you will have a dead bird on your hands. Do you understand me? And the owner of the store said, man, I'm, I'm really sorry, ma'am. I, I, I promise you, we'll try to make sure that never happens again. She said, you better or that bird is dead. 
So the next morning she gets up and she's wondering what's going to happen. She starts to walk down the street and she gets close to the store and she sees that the birdcage and the parrot are still out there. As she gets close, the bird is watching her. She gets close, the parrot says, hey! And she walks right up to that birdcage and anger and fury in her eyes. She said, what? Bird looked at her and said, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what's what's the point of that? Because I think that's how we handle a lot of communication within the context of our family. Right? We just, we just look at each other and we say, you know. Right? Does that not happen? We have so much trouble properly expressing ourselves within the context of marriage and family relationships. And here's why. Because anytime somebody expresses love, either physically or verbally, they are they are making themselves vulnerable and they are taking a risk. And when we don't communicate properly, that makes that vulnerability and that risk all the more rare because people are afraid to take the risk and make themselves vulnerable over time. It gets harder and harder, but we have to learn how to do this If we're ever going to have a healthy family, and this is so important, it it even needs to start at birth. And you think, well, that, that seems a little extreme. Well, let me share this with you. Studies have shown that babies, babies who do not receive expressions of love and hear expressions of love, do you know that they struggle throughout their entire lives with expressing love and receiving love? Did you know that? Babies. On the other hand, when parents express love and affection through verbally and physically to their children, those children are able not only to love themselves, but to love others as well, which is what God said we are supposed to do. And that's why it's so important because no one, no one ever outgrows the need for affection and love. You never outgrow it. You never get past it. But we struggle with expressing it and receiving it in spite of the fact that we need it. Now, I'm going to talk to men especially right now because it's in this particular area that men really struggle. Men have a hard time expressing love and emotion. And, and I think in most cases, it's because it just doesn't seem like the manly thing to do, right? Am I, am I speaking the truth? Yes, okay. Guys are afraid in most cases from, from youth all the way up, we're afraid to express emotion and love because it makes us feel a little less strong, a little less masculine, a little less manly, and we don't want to risk our man card, right? You just don't. That's why, ladies, different subject altogether, but never ask your husband to hold your purse while you're shopping. It's just, amen. amen. 
Don't ever, ever, ever ask your husband to hold your purse. It's just that man card thing. It's, there's a whole bunch of holes that get punched in the man card when he's got to hold your purse. <laughs> but there's something about expressing and, and, and receiving love for men that becomes a real challenge because we, somehow in our minds we have either learned it through culture or in our own perception that this is not manly. Well, I want to point us for a little bit here for the next few seconds to our ultimate goal, and that is to be more like Jesus Christ. That is our goal as Christians, right? So be more like Jesus Christ. All right, men, I'm especially speaking to you right now. Let's look at who Jesus really was. First of all, Jesus was incredibly strong. You read Isaiah 53, and I dare you to read Isaiah 53 in its entirety and come to any other conclusion than that Jesus was incredibly and powerfully strong. Those, those verses in Isaiah 53 say that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. It's by his stripes we are healed. He took a beating, a physical and emotional beating for you and for me. Guys, that's the Jesus that we serve. He's not a namby-pamby Jesus. He's not a Jesus who's afraid to be a man. He is a strong man. That's our Jesus. But not only was he strong, he was also emotional. And this is where guys get tripped up. We love the idea of a strong Jesus. But we cannot forget that he was also an emotional Jesus. John eleven thirty five 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. Everybody knows it. What does it say? Jesus wept. He cried. Jesus cried. Why? Because he was being hurt, beat up? No, he wasn't in physical pain. He was in emotional pain. Because Lazarus had died. And he loved Martha and Mary. And they were emotional wrecks. They were distraught emotionally. And Jesus felt their pain and he felt the loss of Lazarus and Jesus cried. He wept. Jesus was an emotional man. He wasn't only a strong man, he was an emotional man. And then in John chapter 13, he called us to love our brothers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this one uh, for you. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. See, that, that was the mark. That was the mark. That was the indicator of, of Christians to the rest of the world. That was the imprint of Jesus on their life if they loved one another. Men, we have to get past the idea that it's not masculine or manly or we're putting ourselves at risk in an un, un, uh, inappropriate way for us to express love and, and to put ourselves out there and to receive love. It is a beautiful imitation of Jesus when we do that. But most of our young men have never understood that about their identity nor about Jesus 
And so they hold back, and that creates a whole different set of problems within the course and the context of family. So I've spoken to the men. Now let me speak to the women a little bit. Okay, so men often struggle with expressing love verbally and physically. And so here's what happens in a lot of families. The man, the husband, begins to to sort of try to be the strong man. He sort of, you know, stands back. He doesn't want to say it a whole lot. You know, he goes, oh, you know, I told you when we got married, I loved you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. You know, so that's sort of the mindset that most guys have. And as time goes on and children come into the family, here's what happens. Way too many times, wives begin to pour their emotional uh, capacity into their children instead of their husband. Now, it's understandable that it would be tempting for a woman to want to pour into a child that returns the love that she's giving to the child, especially if the husband doesn't seem to be reciprocating the love that she's offered to her husband. But ladies, hear me on this. You are taking great risk to your entire family when you start loving your children and expressing your love to your children more than you love your husband and express your love to him. Now, there's not a lot of amens because everybody's afraid to speak to that. <laughs> now, some of you know that's true, and some of you go, well, I don't, I don't really know if I agree with you. All right? Um, you remember there's this, this thing that, that God said. He said that um, for this reason... A man shall leave his home, and he shall cling to his wife, and the two of them will become what? One. Is there any passage in Scripture that says a mother and child will become one? No, there is not. Your life and your future is not about your children. Your life and your future is about your spouse. It is that relationship alone that God said becomes one and is a reflection of his love to to us as believers in the church. It is that marriage relationship alone, not the one you have with your children, it's the one you have with your spouse. And when when women pour all their emotional capacity into their children, when those children grow up, you know what happens? There's nothing left between the husband and the wife. Because the whole reason that they were still hanging out together was because of the kids. And now the kids are gone. They've got nothing left. They have nothing in common anymore. So we have got to learn how to express love and receive love in the context of family. Men, we've got to get over the man card thing in doing this within the context of our family. And women, you've got to back up from pouring yourself into your children and pour yourself into your husband first. That's the only way that this works. And for both of you and for children and for parents of children, anytime you're on the receiving end of an expression of love, you better learn how to return it appropriately. You hear me? Because here's what happens, and I've already alluded to this as I was beginning to get going. The more that somebody offers an expression of love, 
and it is not returned, the more infrequent that offering will become. And so you start off trying to outdo each other, how much you love each other, you know, when you get married. And then over time, it becomes less and less because somebody offered an expression of love and the other person didn't respond. And then this person offers expression of love and the other person didn't respond. And the next thing you know, nobody's responding to any expression of love. You're just looking at each other going, you know. And that's supposed to be good enough. But in our heart of hearts, is it? No, it's not because God didn't intend it to be that way. It's so important that we learn how to do it because it's life-changing. I want to remind you of the story of Peter. When Jesus was being uh, um, accused and before he went to the cross, you might remember that people were saying, hey, Peter, you've been hanging out with that guy, right? What did Peter do? I don't know him. I don't know. He ran like a coward. But after Jesus was resurrected, I'm not, I can totally identify with Peter. I didn't really want to face Jesus. I don't want to deal with that. I know how I ran away from him and I, I even didn't even acknowledge that I know him. How awkward is that moment? But in that, in that return engagement, Jesus looked at Peter and he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Well, Peter's like most guys. I don't really want to deal with that. I don't want to answer that. Why? Because I'm taking a risk and I know how I abandoned you. And if I say yes, then you can turn your back on me and now I'm feeling terrible. So Jesus engaged with him and stayed after it three times. And what wound up happening to Peter? Peter led the charge and turned the world upside down for the cause of Christ. He went from being a coward at the cross to being one of the lead people in the cause of Christ and the spread of the gospel throughout the world because Jesus was willing to engage with him and draw him back, to draw that out of him even when Peter didn't want to really respond in the way that he needed to. Husbands, wives, parents, children, we've got to be willing to stay engaged until we get to that place because it's life-changing when we do. First John chapter 4, 18, John wrote this. He said, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. No fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In other words, when we're, when we're giving and receiving love in a healthy way, you know what that creates? That creates an environment where we can take on anything and anybody. Amen. We don't have to worry about whether we're good. We don't have to worry, have to worry about whether we're safe. We know we are because that's what the home environment was supposed to create. It's what it was supposed to provide. And perfect love cast out fear and it raises up strong children. Mom and dad, let me just make this very significant statement to both of you this morning. Instead of running all over creation, trying to provide all of the opportunities you can for your children, the best thing that you can ever do for your children is to show them what a loving relationship between mom and dad looks like. Amen. There needs to be a whole lot more amens in that. It's not how many opportunities you give them. It's not how many things that you can involve them in. The absolute best thing that you can do for your children is to show them what a loving relationship between mom and dad looks like. All right, so expressing love, it's a challenge, but it can be dealt with. 
Now, to talk about this next part, I want to show you a real quick clip uh, because I've told you I, th I think in terms of movie clips and TV and songs. So watch this. No good. Wish you'd stop being so good to me, Captain. Don't you ever talk that way to me. Never! Never! What we've got here is failure to communicate. <laughs> Amen. What we've got here is failure to communicate. And that gets played out all over America in homes all across the land. We have a failure to communicate in every relationship because there are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect families. All of this imperfect communication leads to its share of, shall we say, discussions. How many of you have had discussions in your home? Raise your hand. You had discussions in your home. Okay. Some of you are just lying. That's okay. We'll have altar call. You can come repent. Communication within the context of a marriage and family, when it's handled poorly, and you can almost take it to the bank, it's going to be handled poorly, it leads to conflict. Every family has got its share and sometimes more than its share of conflicts. And let me read a couple of passages of Scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 4. I've told you to open this one. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 25. Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need." Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that may impart grace to the hearers. Um, that last verse is kind of important. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Some of us have a real misunderstanding of what edification means as we're in those discussions with each other within the course of our marriage. Amen. <laughs> so Paul says, be very careful about how you communicate when there is conflict. Let's go over to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul says this, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So in other words, Paul is saying that, hey, we're, all, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of the one body. And Jesus said, and God said, Jesus echoed the words of God in the New Testament, that husband and wives come together to be one. When we begin to tear each other down in conflict, we're actually hurting who? 
ourselves. We're hurting ourselves because we're one body. And Paul says, don't, don't let corrupt words come out of your mouth, but only what's good for edification for the other person because we're supposed to be one. So the Bible has a lot to say about conflict management. And within the course of a lot of different passages of Scripture, what you will find is that the Bible stresses both assertiveness and cooperation. Assertiveness on an individual scale and cooperation in regard to relationship. Now, I've got a, uh, a graphic up on the screen for you, and, and I want to make some points about that. Okay, so uh, on the, the up and down part of the slide, you see assertiveness. And that's, that's a, a personal sort of uh, how you care about yourself, your concern of level, your level of concern for yourself. On the bottom, you see cooperation, and that's your level of concern for others. And another way to talk about assertiveness is self-confidence. And as, as you go up that scale, self-confidence is higher. As you come down, self-confidence is lower. And as you go from left to right on the bottom, there is less concern for other people and more concern for other people. And there are a whole bunch of different places that you can land on that chart. Now, if you, if you understand how to read charts and you look at, at the bottom uh, right and the top uh, left, you realize that if the Bible expresses assertiveness and it ex uh, 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 discusses cooperation, that the perfect place to always be would be at the top right-hand corner because, I mean, that's, that's self-confidence and it's a lot of care and concern for other people. But there are a lot of places on this chart that are not inappropriate at certain times, and I want to use some passages of Scripture to help you understand because Understanding this will help you navigate communication and conflict within your marriage. So I'll do these fairly quickly. This, this slide should be in the center screen as we go forward. All right, so let's talk about withdrawing. Okay, so you see down here in the bottom left, here's what happens when a, time, a lot of times conflict happens uh, in, in a family or a marriage. Somebody doesn't want to deal with it, Right? Somebody doesn't want to deal with it. And so they withdraw and they avoid the thing altogether. It's just easier not to deal with it. And so you might think, well, that's always wrong. Well, if you look at those passages of Scripture on the, on the screen there, these are two different cases where Jesus actually withdrew from conflict. In the first one there in Matthew chapter 12, that was immediate conflict. The, the Pharisees were right there and they were pressing him and Jesus withdrew from that situation. The second one is in the Garden, uh, the, the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane before uh, he was arrested and, and put on trial and taken to the cross. Conflict had not arrived yet, but he knew it was coming. So in the first case, it was, it was current and present conflict. The second case, it was coming conflict. But in both of those cases, Jesus withdrew himself from the situation. Why? To pray and to prepare himself to deal with it. Okay? Sometimes when people want to avoid it altogether, you can avoid it and run away from it and never intend to deal with it. That is wrong. That gets you nowhere. But if a person withdraws with the intent to pray, to seek God, to find wisdom, and say, I am, I am looking to deal with this, 
uh, directly at some specific point in time, then avoiding has a spiritual and practical purpose. So avoiding is not always wrong. All right. The next one of these, if you go all the way to the top, uh, I'm a competitor. I like to win. Anybody else like to win? Raise your hand if you like to win. All right. Now, there are some ladies out there, but this, this is usually the guy thing. This is the guy side of the chart. We like to win. And when you're in conflict, is there anybody that likes to lose in conflict? No, not really. That doesn't feel too good. We want to win. We want to win in conflict. And so you think winning probably is a dangerous thing when, when you just got to win. Not always. Here in Matthew chapter 1, you see the story of Jesus and the money changers in the temple. This is an illustration of Jesus winning the conflict. Folks, there are some times that core principles are at stake. There are some times that safety of an individual and their well-being is at stake and you must win this conflict. There's no compromise in this. There's no finding middle ground. Right is right, and you gotta deal with it, and you gotta stand your ground. You understand what I'm saying? This was a situation where there was no middle ground. What was going on was an abomination to the Lord, and Jesus said, there's no middle ground on this. I've got to win this conflict, and he did. But winning at all cost, when principles are not at stake, is a dangerous thing. Be very careful about when having the idea that you have to win every conflict. Compromising, you kind of look in that middle ground there. Compromise sounds like a bad word, doesn't it? Sounds like a bad word. Matthew chapter 22, 21, Jesus was confronted about taxes and he said, hey, give Caesars what's Caesars and give to God what's God. What's going on there? Sometimes core principles are not in stake. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to this. And when you have a situation within the context of, of your marriage or your family, and both people are, are right, there's not a core principle that somebody is totally wrong about, it becomes really preference. It's perfectly okay to meet in the middle and give a little bit because you're not sacrificing principle, you're not sacrificing safety, you're not sacrificing the truth of the Word of God. Does that make sense? Sometimes compromise has to be done and it's the best solution to conflict management. The top, the top right, which is resolving, is Generally speaking, it is kind of where we want to wind up in most cases. And resolving is, is, is ending a conflict. It's finding a way to solve a conflict between two or more parties. It's finding a solution in a healthy way. So in this case, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 50 through 53, this is where Jesus is approached in the garden after he had prayed, withdrawn himself, and we don't really know who did it, although most of us think it was Peter. Cut off his ear, right? Cut off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus said, put it down. He healed the man's ear. And he said, this is not how this is going to go down. Jesus brought resolution. 
he brought resolve to the conflict between two or more parties in a healthy way for both. Because if this had gone forward, it would have been incredibly uh, detrimental and probably uh, death-inducing for his disciples. They were way outnumbered and way outgunned and outmanned, right? On the other hand, if this had continued forward, Jesus would not have been able to show and demonstrate the grace that we're supposed to show to the world. That's what he was doing. He was demonstrating grace. So this is a win-win proposition. And when we're in conflict, we need to be looking, how do, we, how do we work together to find a solution to this problem that helps everybody win when one person isn't wrong on core principles and safety is not in question? So there's lots of places that you can fall. And next, next week in your Sunday scene class, you'll have a copy of this chart to, uh, to work with and uh, to sort of take home and, and talk about among yourselves. So I'll give you an opportunity to talk more about that in your Sunday sync groups next, next Sunday. So I want to finish real quickly with a slide of 10 different things about how to have a fair fight because you're going to have discussions, enthusiastic discussions as husband and wife and as parent and as children. It's going to happen in your home. So I'm not going to talk a great deal about these, but I want you to see them. And these will also be in your Sunday sync groups next week. So run through these for top 10 real quick. Number one, identify the issue. Know what you're, know what you're having a, an issue about, right? Know what it is. Don't, don't chase rabbits all over the world because that gets you nowhere. Know what it is that you're talking about. Then choose the right time. Um, when... A husband or a wife walks through the door at the end of a hard day, it is not the right time to jump on them with all the crap that happened during the day that they didn't know about. That ever happened? Not the right time. Just not the right time. Understand the right time. Because if you try to address a problem at the wrong time, you will get a wrong solution. Does that make sense? Choose the right time. Begin with a, something positive. You know, if you say something negative to somebody right off the bat, you know most of the time they don't hear another thing that you say. You aware of that? Start with something positive. Stick to the issue. Know what you're, know what you're discussing, know what you're fighting about, and then stay on topic. Because this is what you're trying to resolve, right? Stick with it. Don't bring up the past. This is a dangerous thing. Don't start going, well, you know, five years ago, who cares? We're not talking about five years ago. We're talking about right now. And once you start going down the past, the other party is like mentally, they're just done. Never mind. I'm done. Number six, <laughs> don't, don't hit below the belt. You know, everybody has some soft spots and everybody has places where they're vulnerable. We know what they are. You know what those are in your husband. You know what those are in your wife. Stay away from them. No hitting below the belt. Express anger non-abusively. You know, Paul said, be angry and sin not, right? 
Anger is not a sin. The way we deal with anger can be. Express anger not abusively. No martyrs allowed. How many of you know what that means? No martyrs allowed. Come on, raise your hand. Well, nobody ever does anything for me. Everybody always does something to me. Well, I'm the only one. No martyrs allowed. Stop it. How many of you have ever been in one of these enthusiastic discussions with somebody and you've heard somebody start going down the everybody, nobody, or only me? (laughs) Drives you crazy? Conversation over. Stop it. No martyrs allowed. Avoid labeling and name calling. And then lastly, I want to make sure that I I touch on this one. Avoid triangles. What does that mean? If this is between the two of you, make it between the two of you. You know what happens way too many times, and you know what causes so much pain and conflict in families? Is something starts between two people, and now you've got to start inviting other people into the mess. And you're asking people to take sides. And they don't know the whole story. They don't know what's going on behind closed doors. They only know your side of the, the, the story, and your version is always going to make you look a little better than it probably should. Amen? It just is. Avoid triangles. It's between the two of you. Keep it between the two of you, unless you want to go see a counselor together. Sam, raise your hand, Sam. Sam's back there. Sam is a biblical counselor here at the church. If you're struggling with something and you, you can't figure out how to have a fair fight and it's just not working, that's the one time that a triangle is okay. But you're doing it together and you're doing it with each other's knowledge and you're working toward resolution, to resolving the conflict. There are no perfect families. Don't hold the other person in your family. Don't hold your children to expectations and standards that nobody can meet. Your children will not be perfect. Your husband will not be perfect. Your wife will not be perfect. And teenagers, your parents will not be perfect. There are no perfect relationships anywhere in that family environment. We have to stop holding each other to expectations that no one can live up to. And we got to find the right way to honor God and build these healthy families because it's within the context of family that we start to grow healthy churches and healthy communities and we start to show the love of God to the rest of the world. Amen? Amen? I'm going to ask our worship team to come join me on the platform. If you're here this morning and you've heard the story of Jesus before, It's important that you know the story of Jesus, but the story of Jesus is not enough in and of itself. You have to to surrender your heart to him. You've got to invite him into a place in your life, and he'll be glad to do that.
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He's ready to save you this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity to come and ask Jesus into your life this morning if you never have. But I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning for our invitation. I'm going to ask husbands and wives especially to come and pray with each other, to commit to loving each other through challenges, to commit to loving each other through disappointments and frustrations, to not hold each other to expectations that neither side can ever meet. And then if, if you're so inclined and you've got children that are here in the service with you, go pray together with them as a family. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand. These altars are open all the way across, but, you know, we, we built a wall back in the fall based on scriptures from Nehemiah. And as you build a family, you're building a wall. Maybe you want to just go pray in front of one of these walls together. Whatever it is that you need to do, do it. Do it. Don't leave here today the same. Make a commitment to each other. Make a commitment to your family. Come invite Christ into your, into your life. Father, as we've shared your word, I pray your Holy Spirit will now have his way in freedom in every, every life, in every home. In Jesus' name.